0: So we'll start in Hebrews chapter one and verse one, but for the most part, we'll just be doing uh, kind of an introduction to the book and kind of the purpose, the theme. It's a really good idea to get your arms wrapped around the reason why the book was written. So this is part of your exegetical or you know homiletical study. Uh, when you're preparing for a message or, or for a book, and it kind of reminded me of of uh, the, the old uh, Dale Carnegie sales pitch. For, I think it's been about 17 of my 27 years of marriage, I've probably been in some form of sales, and with that comes all kinds of sales classes and sales presentations and um, whatnot, and so one of the you know, kings of the presentation is this guy named Del Carnegie. And uh, there's still several classes that uh, people take the Del Carnegie course. Uh, his book is one of the most popular uh, books that's ever been written for that. And the title is a little interesting. The title is How to Win Friends and Influence People. So it sounds a kind of a little uh, course, uh, but it's actually uh, much better than just kind of the idea of uh, sales mani- manipulation, and so in, in the kind of the Carnegie presentation, the idea is as as you're trying to you know present your product, whatever it is, if you're selling a car or paper, or, you know, dirt it doesn't really matter. Um, but you know you want to give somebody a little background. You give them a little background. Well, who are you? You know, what's the name of your company? How long have you been in business? So a company that's been around for a hundred years. You know, well, they probably have a good reputation. They've been serving people and doing well, as opposed to somebody who maybe just started yesterday out of his garage. Doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just that there's no history. Usually you're going to want to describe kind of the, here, here are the, the key aspects so the, the key features. Not going into too much depth, but just kind of a, a superficial level, you know, more like a bullet point kind of a thing. Maybe you're going to bring like some key facts and then, and then your, your bridge statements, you know, it's like, well, here, here's this product and and it's great. You know, here's, here's fact one or statistic one, but the benefit to you is this because facts without personal benefits are kind of meaningless. And so sometimes when people come to the Bible and it's just information, well, the, the reality is, is there, there is a, a meaning, there is a benefit to you in reading this book. And the Bible says it. You will be blessed by reading this book. Well, there's, you know, in sales and presentations, there's, you know, objections, right? Well, wait a minute. I don't understand this. I don't like this. Explain to me this. Why this? And so as a in a presentation, you're going to handle those objections. You're going to answer those key questions. You see this all the time. In the scriptures, especially the epistles, uh, where Paul is addressing specific issues and then answering them head on, we just dealt with that in Galatians. Well, and then you you kind of go for the big close, right? Here, here's here's the close, and sometimes the close has something to do with a, you know competition. You, you know, we've been watching kind of Pepsi and Coca Cola. You know, doing their commercials for, for years where, you know, they, sometimes they struggle with not mentioning the competition in, in their advertisement. Why? So, you know, to push the competition down so you raise yourself up, right? And then you come, you know, with the, the big clothes and the, the real issue is this product is better, right? It's better than product B, the right? The best, And that's what we have in the book of Hebrews. What we have in the book of Hebrews is very similar. Uh, We we have background, we have key features, we have facts, bridge, we have benefits, we have handling objections. And we have a a driving point, which is Jesus Christ is better. More specifically, better than the old uh, Jewish system. And so Hebrews is going to address that head on in a a masterful way. And so today we want to understand uh, the purpose then of of this epistle specifically. An epistle is just a a letter or a dispatch, you know, kind of a communication. Usually it's written uh, in general to kind of a group, but in a specific and formal way. Uh, It's usually instructive. It's usually educational and it's usually, uh, you know, has exhortation in it. And so the, the message then is, is an edifying message. It's a, it's a message to, to build up others. And so that's exactly what, what Hebrews is. And so today we're going to kind of explore seven elements, uh, just kind of a, a high level of view of Hebrews. The first one is the supremacy of Christ. The whole point of the book. We're going to see relationship with God, uh, kind of look over the sacrificial system, the superiority of the new covenant, uh, persecution of the Judaizers, uh, messianic promises, and the connection to the Levitical law. And so look at Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 real quick with me. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 starts off, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. And we'll kind of stop right there. So a long time ago. Well, ironically, we, we know how long. We, we have the scriptures. We have the Bible. And we're, we're, you know, when this is written, probably about 100 AD is around the time period of, of Hebrews. And so we also know that when we first started seeing writings from the Pentateuch of, you know, maybe Moses or or the book of Job, we're talking about a span of about 3,400 years, 3,400 years. So when Hebrews one says a long time ago, he's talking about 3,400 years of of written, written, documented history. But really what he's talking about is the beginning, right? Because the scripture starts with in the beginning, So when you you take a look at this, like, all right, comprehensively, what we're talking about is when God spoke from the beginning, from the very beginning, uh, in many ways. How how did God speak? Well, there were uh, several different authors. The time span, like I mentioned before, between... Uh, when well, we know, like Moses wrote a book, between when, uh, let's say Paul wrote a book, that span is is about 1,500 years. There's 66 different books written that compile the entire book uh, of the Bible. 66 books. About 35 to 39 authors, some of the books we don't know the author. So there's assumptions, which may add or subtract to the authorship. Hebrews being uh, one of those books. And and so the whole point here is, from the get-go with Hebrews, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways, uh, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, And so it's important for us to understand that, look, in order to get things right, because there's a problem, right? There's a problem. But in order for us to get this right, in order for us to understand, we're going to have to go backwards. We're going to go back to the beginning. Now, this is becoming more and more... um, of, of, of a different way of looking at things in today's society. We used to always do that. We would always go back to the, the original uh, document, right? When we're talking about authorship, we want to go to the, the monograph, right? The, the first one. Nowadays, people would much rather go with the revisionist history, right? Why read George Washington when I could just create my own outline of George Washington today? Right with all my conjecture and all my views. It's like, well, no, why would you want to read what Tony has to say about George Washington when George Washington had plenty to say, and we have it. So we're seeing a, a, a huge shift in the way people think nowadays and what we see with Scripture it says, no, no, if you want to get it right, go backwards. We see that God spoke to the fathers and the prophets uh, in, in, in many ways. Well, in what kind of ways? Well, we see that uh, Christ is embedded in Scripture from the very first pages of Genesis. Uh, remember, uh, on the road to Emmaus, and the uh, you know two guys are talking, and you know Jesus appears to them, and he and they don't quite know it, and and Jesus says, "Hey, in the beginning, in the beginning, with Moses and the prophets, the Bible is talking about me, right?" And so that begs the question well how so well we saw that in a lot of typology we we saw christ in the very beginning we see christ in the the altar system the sacrificial system he is the lamb of god right he is the passover lamb we we saw in uh, some pictures like even with the ark that there's only one way of escape there's only one way to the father and that's through the son there's only one way out and that's to get on the boat in the one door provided for safety and security on the ark. We saw a beautiful picture that way. We saw the relationship of Abraham and Isaac and the, the potential offering up of the son and what was a picture then of what God was going to do when he literally was going to offer up his son as the one and only worthy sacrifice We see the priesthood as that's laid out in the Old Testament. We see how the kingship was laid out in in the Old Testament. We saw this beautiful illustration of the the serpent on the staff where Israel is being judged for their sin and all they have to do by faith is to look up and, and look at the staff and that would heal them of their sin. A beautiful picture of the coming crucifixion. Uh, we see a picture of Christ and Jonah and being in the, you know, Jonah being in the well for three days, right? And then coming back out. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many different ways, speaking. The fathers would be the, the prophets, the fathers would be uh, the the the. The priests, the the kings, the the different people that God used to to speak through the the scriptures. We see here that God spoke. How did God speak? Well, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. And when we look at that and break it down, the the Greek, we see that it's God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. That's all God-spoken. We see that God creates the universe. How? By speaking. We see in 2 Samuel 23, 2, that the the writing of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. um, The Holy Spirit puts his word on the tongues of man to write the scriptures. So this is how God has communicated to us from the very beginning, a long time ago, through different fathers, different prophets, and many portions uh, in many ways. This is not a book written by men, but it's divinely inspired. Divinely inspired. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were looking over, you know, the equipping of the saints and looking at, you know, what's the prophetical um, uh, kind of gift. And Steve, you know, just reminded us that it's not just the the predictive side of prophecy, but it's the idea of speaking forth, speaking what God's divine will is. Now, that could be seeing it in the future. So when the Old Testament saints are seeing God's divine will and how this is going to take place prophetically in the future... For us, we're, we're prophetically looking back and seeing God's will and how it's clearly understanding in the past and in the present. But it's still the prophetical message of God speaking forth his divine will. Again, not for man. And so Hebrews kind of sets that tone right in the beginning, right from the get-go, that this is divinely inspired by God. Well, it might be the reason why we don't know who the penned author is of this book. And some of you may or may not notice, I don't tend to say, and Paul wrote this, or, you know, Matthew wrote that, because because the Word of God is, is inspired by God. It is God's authorship. I don't really give credit to the to the person who's writing, although we do see personality traits in the different authors, which is very interesting and uh, unique. But this is God's word. This is from God. And so even though in the book of Hebrews, we don't have an author that signed his name to it, there's still conjecture as to, well, who wrote it. And it would still help us in understanding who and why and the purpose of the book. So if we knew it could give us a little bit more insight, but we don't. Uh, some of the conjectures. well, it's got to be Paul. And the reason why most believe it has to be Paul is because of the depth and the understanding uh, of the theology and the doctrine. And the, just the beautiful understanding of, of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament works with the New Testament. And so what you had is the Eastern Church from, you know, the first hundred years, you know, men like Origen said, definitely this is of Paul. Uh, We saw it in the Western church. Uh, Tertullian and Jerome, uh, they also believed that it was Paul. The problem is, is it doesn't really have Paul's format. And the other problem is that Paul doesn't sign it, which he always signs. And so it doesn't really seem to have kind of that, that style that Paul has. doesn't mean he didn't write it, but it doesn't have that style. And then the other thing, the final thing is, Paul remembers ministry was to the Gentiles. While there may have been Jewish Gentiles in the church of Galatia or Rome, he was still on a mission and his journey is on a mission to, to evangelize the Gentiles. Romans is, or Hebrews is a book that's written uh, to a Jewish church. So that makes people think that maybe it wasn't Paul um, But again, like I said, the the real thing that we have to get our arms wrapped around is this is the divine message from God himself. And so the purpose uh, in writing this was this book was written, and we'll we'll see this in some later verses, to some suffering and immature Jews. Now, when we say immature, uh, I want to be careful here because I don't think any of us need to have our egos inflated any greater than they already are. Um, we're we're being critical somewhat, and we're also taking with what the Scripture's saying to us. So when the Scripture says that they, you know, were, were like newborn babes or thought like children, well, then we repeat that, and it, it sounds as though we're putting them down. But think of it more of of just a, a kind of a barometer of where they're at, rather than than a put down. And they're just they're they're a, a, a newer church. Remember, this is the first century. This is first, second generation Christians. They don't have a bunch of Bibles, a bunch of commentaries, a bunch of podcasts, right? They're, they're newbies. This is very, very understandable that the gospel would be very, very confusing. Um, and so we can have some kind of understanding with that. And I think it'll help us have understanding with each other. And with people we know, because even with all this wealth of of information that we have today, it's almost worse on a different level. We have too much stuff. Maybe, maybe they didn't have enough. We have too much. Um, so we're still kind of in that place of of struggle and confusion with the things that are being taught. Remember, these these people in Hebrews, they they, they never met Jesus, they're they don't have an apostle that walked with Jesus. They don't have you know, somebody who is you know, in that firsthand knowledge. And so this church, this group of people, and kind of like what we've heard before, but they're really hung up on some of the old Jewish things. And for them, uh, the priesthood is, is, a, is a really big deal. Like I said, last time it was more circumcision. This time it's more the priesthood, kind of how the priesthood is tied in with the temple And and that tied in with the sacrifices. All all three of those go hand in hand. And so the old Judaistic rituals. Well, which ones do we do and which ones don't we do? Again, it's the same situation we have today. What is true Christianity? What is it that we really should be doing versus, well, that's just ritualistic and legalistic. Or, no, that's like new and... Uh, not even the right gospel anymore. And so, we, again, we still come with kind of the same, same questions. But I think the, the key for us is that we need to get our arms wrapped around that there is, has been, and will always be uh, false teaching, false understanding. And, and we need to have a pursuit to get it right. We need to pursue accuracy. And the best way for us to pursue accuracy, and again, it kind of goes back to Hebrews 1, is uh, to go backwards, to get your arms wrapped around God's word. And the book of Hebrews is like this amazing book that's like, we're going to address the Old Testament and as it combines with with the New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The looking forward to Jesus and Jesus actually having come. Because remember, in the Old Testament, there was no name Jesus, right? There was the coming Messiah. Well, now we know who that is. And and so that's what Hebrews kind of does for us. Well, the first element then that we see here uh, in in our overview is this element then of the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme. Supreme doesn't take a genius to figure out. He's the best. He's the most important. There is no one else, nothing better. Christ is supreme to everyone and everything. Uh, Verse two, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And then we go on to see, which of the angels did he ever say, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. We see kind of the... Um, the reaction to the objections, right? Well, we see that Christ is superior in that he is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. When the earth was formed and created, the son in the triune Godhead was right there. Jesus was part of the creation. He is part of the triune Godhead. And his radiance is the exact uh, imprint of of God's nature. Christ became incarnate in flesh. Right? But Christ has been there from the beginning. That's one of the reasons why he is supreme. That's why there is none like Jesus. None. Not even close. He is the God-man. Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he upholds all things he upholds the universe um, as part of his divine position in the Godhead. he has a royal position. I love this this idea that once he you know was done you know creating and upholding the world he, he sat down on the throne you know, job well done, I'm good. you know he sits on the throne. he is not an angel. As, Many other religions have claimed he is part of the triune Godhead, God himself, the son, and he sits on the throne, majesty on high, better than angels. Very, very clear, and we'll go through more of this later. And so, not only is he better than the angels, he's, he's uh, you know better than Joshua then, he's better than any priests, he's better than kings, he's better than, uh, covenant laws, sacrificial systems. Jesus is superior in all ways. Well, the second element we see is this relationship uh, to God, a relationship to God. In Exodus thirty-three twenty, we see that there there are rules for entering the temple. And, and remember, it began with God being in the garden with Adam and Eve, having this intimate, personal relationship. Then we saw God dwelling in the presence of of the nation of Israel. The idea of tabernacling is is the same word dwelling. And so God was dwelling in the midst of the Hebrew people, right? In the Old Testament, when they're coming out of Egypt, God is with them. His Shekinah glory is with them. We saw the pillar of cloud by you know day, the, the fire by night. God was in the presence of, of Israel, uh, their people. But, but man's sin uh, man's sin creates separation. Man's sin creates a division. We saw that in the establishment of the temple, where we see that there's, here's this temple in the middle of Israel, even though God's dwelling in the presence of Israel, but there's a temple. Inside the temple, there's a holy of holies. There's a veil that nobody can come through because you can't look upon God. You can't be in the presence of God. And you can't because of sin. And so the relationship with God is broken with man. So what do you do? Well, you have priests. You have the old covenant, the Old Testament system of priests. This is one of the the greatest defenses or arguments, I guess, um, uh, against the the system of, of Catholicism, I would say, is in the priesthood. The priesthood is an old covenant system. It's an old covenant system. And by definition, as a new covenant Christian, you don't need a priest. The veil has been torn. It's been removed. The priest has is Christ Jesus. And this is the point of the book of Hebrews. He is the high priest. You don't need another high priest. He is the mediator. You don't need another mediator. You don't need to pray. You don't need to come to me for purification of sins. You don't need to come to me to pray to God. You go to God yourself. There is no need for a priest. There's no need for a mediator. That was their whole function. The whole function of the priest in the temple was because of sin, because of the separation, you couldn't have this personal relationship with God. And so you had to have this sacrificial system that was in place. The Day of Atonement, Israel just celebrated another Yom Kippur. This this Day of Atonement, this day where you would go and make the great sacrifice for all your sin, for all the year, for all your family. Well, the problem is, is that it was very temporary in that system. Even the priests themselves uh, had, to, had to find purification for their sins. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.14 talks about how the priests weren't even allowed uh, to be at the temple at times because of their sin. And so the Levitical priests had offered these Sacrifices to atone for sin, uh, which were to remove the barrier, but they were not able to do that. Sin, man's sin was too great, and so the relationship was in this constant um, defunct status until Christ died on the cross. And at that moment, where it says, that now the veil is torn, that, that beautiful picture of the separation between God and man and on the cross, that veil is just from bottom, it's just torn. So now there's no separation. There's now no more need for that mediator. Well, the third element we're going to see as we look through uh, Hebrews is, again, taking a closer look at the sacrificial system itself. Well, how many sacrifices Because it wasn't just the Day of Atonement. We've talked about this before. I mean, just imagine if today was the Day of Atonement. Okay, we could just put it, you know how we now have those little watches and bracelets with how many miles you walk, right? Okay, we'll just have one like on the the sin counter, Hmm. right? We'll see like, it will will be a game. We'll say, who, who can last the longest? Does anybody in their right mind think they'll make it too dark today? without sinning? And and that's not to make light of sin. That's just to say we sin. And like I said, I, I, I don't know that we would make it an hour. You know, we could put it all on computer and just have like a little check. Beep, beep. You know, there, there goes Steve. Beep. Gone, done. You know, Arden. Beep. You know, Susan before she leaves the doors. Beep. To, you know, just... Um, and so this idea that there's this, okay, so God understanding that how man was and putting in a system, okay, well, we need to take care of you, you know, month by month, week by week, day by day. And so there's this whole system of sacramental systems, uh, Passover, unleavened bread, first, Futes, first fruits, uh, feast of weeks, feasts of trumpets. Uh, the Day of Atonement, Feast of the Booths, there were different Sabbaths. there's uh, even in the New Testament, then we saw all the different pharisaical commands that were all other kind of parts of a, a new sacrificial system. And so what we see in the book of Hebrews is, you know what, forget that. I have a better system for you. I have a, a better sacramental, uh, sacrificial system. And that is going to be, how about we do it this way? How about once, one time, For all. So remember, again, I used to have to have my own land with my family. Maybe I could share it with another one, right? It's like, no, 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 no. This sacrifice is going to be good for everybody. Not just here. Outside. Not just outside. All King County. Not just King County. All Washington. Not just Washington. America. Africa. Right? The whole deal. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, forevermore. Whoa. Tell me more. Right? If we're watching this at, uh, you know, 2.30 in the morning, right, as a, as a sales thing, tell me more. And there's more. Right? Jesus is, is a better sacrificial system, a superior one. We're going to get a, 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 a glance at that. Well, in tied into that then is the fourth element, which is the superiority then of the New Covenant, the superiority of this New Covenant to the Old. And we knew that the New Covenant was coming. The Old Testament gave a picture of that throughout the new, the Old uh, Testament. Embedded in that was the Abrahamic Covenant. Then we saw it in Jeremiah. We saw it in, in Isaiah. We saw, uh, you know, in these different places, these prophetical uh, pointings of there's going to be a New Covenant, which should... Sparked the interest of all the Jews. Wait a minute. A new one? What's the new one? What's that going to be about? It's like, oh, it's tied in with the the Messiah. the, The coming king. The savior of the world, right? The conquering king. Okay, we've got this better thing coming. Well, it came. Did they embrace it? Did they really accept it as this? Well, wait a minute. If the new is taking over the old, well, then the new is better than the old, right? Doesn't that make sense? But there's confusion because it's like, okay, well, remember, I've been raised a Jew, and so I've got these laws, and I've got these ceremonies, and I've got these customs, and so, you know, w- w- which ones do I still follow and not follow? And again, it would be confusing. It, it would kind of be like in our, in our local civil, uh, civic, civil government, where it's like, okay, All tickets are now paid for once and for all. Really? All of them? All of them. Parking, speeding, turn signal, all that stuff. It's all taken care of. It's all paid for. It's like, okay, great. So tomorrow, which ones do I have to obey and keep? Do I just keep breaking them because they're paid for? Hmm. How does this work exactly? Right? Right? So you could see how you know what it's going to it's it's going to get confusing And so here we are today it's 2018 which church do I go to which denomination um which which doctrine which theology gets it gets confusing and so there's this this time of transition but but the clearer point in the book of Hebrews is the new covenant is superior. Remember Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus states, I I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to complete it. And so it gives us that, that understanding. And this is what Hebrews does that it's not that we just rip out the pages of the old Testament, which is the big mistake that a lot of people make. It's no, 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 this is all together. This this is all one big, giant puzzle piece, right? But all the pieces are required to put together the whole piece. And and it breaks my heart when I hear so many people say, "Ah, we don't really need the Old Testament. It's like, really? You're going to put together your puzzle piece, and you're going to eliminate this much of it. What would your puzzle look like? It would be completely incomplete. You cannot understand in totality your New Testament scriptures, your new covenant, if you don't understand the old covenant. And what it does is then you don't appreciate the new covenant. You won't appreciate Jesus Christ. You won't appreciate or understand how awesome and amazing and superior he is when you don't understand the old covenant. And so he fulfills that. Well, the fifth element we see is there's this persecution the look the 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 jews the the jews who had taken religion and made it a profession and kind of embedded it into one remember when we saw the pharisees and the sadducees and these guys you know the lawyers were also in the church system it was it was all one right and they were in charge of local governments and, and the civil authority. And worse than that, they were in league and union with the secular guys. This is how they killed Jesus. It's exactly how they killed Jesus. That the the high priest, the Jewish church, was in line with Rome, was in line with Pilate, and so they used Rome, they used Pilate to ultimately. They were the ones who put Jesus on the cross to kill him. Well, that continued and we see elements of that. We saw how the the Judaizers went after the New Testament, the New Covenant Church. We saw Stephen get stoned to death by who? The police? The Romans? No, the Judaizers. One of which was Paul. Brother Saul was, was part of that group. And then we saw the tables turn. We just went over this last week, where, where Paul was persecuted, over and over and over again, right? By who? By Jews. Why? Again, this is very important that we understand the why. Not only because they were carnal and sinful and kind of tied into, uh, you know, their their wicked systems, but 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 don't ever forget. Part of it was they were Old Covenant, Old Testament believers. And in their defense, when Jesus is saying that he is God, when Jesus is saying that he is Messiah, when Jesus is saying that he died to pay the price for sins and you don't need a sacrificial system anymore, well, guess what? That was blasphemy in their eyes. And so you need to get this right because it's going to put you on the entirely on the wrong side. And so the old covenant law then was persecuting new covenant believers. This is again going back to Galatians. Look, you, you have to keep this. If, if you don't get circumcised, well, th- then you're going to hell. This is, this is critical and essential for your faith. New Testament Christianity is saying, no, it's not. We're justified by faith alone. That's the tension that created the persecution. Well, the sixth element we see is uh, the messianic promises. Remember, the purpose uh, of Hebrews is to explain kind of how all this fits. And we see this uh, messianic promises. And, and again, in verse two, in these last days, you guys do understand that Hebrews was written approximately 218 years ago, right? Or 2000 years ago. 2018 years ago, because we're in the year 2018. And here we are in these last days. What does that mean? 2,000 years ago, they thought this was the last days. And you'll see this throughout the New Testament. They'll say this in the book. These are the last days. This is it. Well, what did they mean? This is messianic talk. Uh, There's some theological terms. One's called dispensationalism, and and it's... well, there's different, like, dispensations, different epics, different kind of chapters in time, right? First you had the, you know, the, the, you know, Adam and Eve and, you know, Moses and the old patriarchs and the prophets. And, you know, and so this then is the final dispensation of who Christ is as the, as the sacrificial lamb coming king. This is it. This is in that box, in that category. And so... From the point where Jesus raises again, it's the last days. That would be one interpretation. But it's all bound in, all bound in this idea then of the messianic promise, the messianic hope, which is well Jesus wasn't finished, was he? He wasn't finished. He he came and completely fulfilled his role as sacrificial lamb. But there's more to be done in regards to his kingship, isn't there? And so we see that there's still uh, more after the cross. There's a final return from Christ in these last days. And so we have some great things to look forward to, which again is part of what makes Jesus superior and better. Remember, this book, this entire book is God's redemptive, Plan. And so as we, we go from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then okay, now here we are in Hebrews, right? And Hebrews comes to this point where it's like, okay, now we have to do some explaining of the old and the new and how this blends together, but we're still going further, right? We're going to get to Revelation where it talks about when Jesus comes back and, and conquers Satan and does I mean, we're, we're in process. This book is a process book. So we have to take the time to understand where we're at in this time. Remember, all books in the Bible are written to a specific group of people in specific time. They're not just random uh, myth or fable. Uh, They are literal books with literal points. Well, finally, what we'll see throughout Hebrews is this amazing connection with Levitical law. This is where it really is, is exciting. So, I don't know how many people uh, I've heard or talked to that will say something to the effect of, oh, I started reading my Bible and, oh, it was, you know, it was great and I loved it, you know, in Genesis and Exodus and then, ooh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it's going on there, right? It's like law and stuff and ritual. Oh, you know, and it's like, here's the thing. And we, we've spent several weeks now just talking about right lists and rules and regulations that that's not how we're saved. The law, we're not saved by the law. So I want you to get your arms wrapped around this. The book of Leviticus was never, ever a book about how you are going to be saved by the obedience of law. Never. It was never the intent of it. It was just to reveal what the law was and to reveal what your sin was. The book of Leviticus, though, becomes one of the best books, one of the best foreshadowings of Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a second. If you want to know who Jesus is, you know where you should go? Leviticus right what are you crazy Leviticus you have to be out of your mind well let me give you a little jet tour Passover first Corinthians 5 7 Christ is our Passover we find Passover rules and instruction and guidelines in Leviticus but it wasn't about Passover It was about Jesus. It's about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Does that become relevant? Unleavened bread. Again, this idea, this picture, this typology in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, which was really about the purging out of your sin. Anybody in here need to think about purging out of your sin? The first fruits, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, this promise of this amazing harvest this, this amazing reward, the, re, the reaping what you have sown, and then this relationship that we have with, with God seen through first fruits. The Feast of Weeks. We see this in Acts 2, also known as the promise of the Holy Spirit, known as Pentecost. But we saw that in Leviticus. The Feast of Trumpets, which was this this blow, this, this cry, this, this horn that signals to the nation a call to obedience. A call to obedience. Which again, look, in, the, in Leviticus you are called to be obedient. Exodus 36. Are we still not called to be obedient? But now we are no longer slaves to the law, we're slaves to Christ. The Day of Atonement. Um, the one day of atonement, well, again, would we rather have year after year, the day of atonement or the cross of Christ? And so understanding what the day of atonement would complete in atoning for one's sins, payment for one's sins, a substitution for your sins with the lamb, with the scapegoat, all that again, laid out. In Leviticus, so many different pictures of atonement in Leviticus. The Feast of Booths, um, Exodus 36:28, where all the families on earth are going to come together in Jerusalem, which is a great picture of what we see in the book of Revelation. All of this stuff is laid out in Leviticus, but you thought you were reading law. You thought you were just reading about sacrifices and and systems and stuff. But no, no, no. What you were really reading about was this future picture of how Jesus Christ was going to fulfill all of this in himself. What a masterful, masterful book. And when you see it in that light, opens up and becomes something entirely new. And then when you come to Hebrews... Hebrews is going to take this big, giant breath and say, let me break it down for you. Let me explain this. Let's talk about how, let's talk about the priesthood. Let me explain to you how Jesus is our high priest. Not those guys. Not those guys. And so the elements that we find in Hebrews are for us, to study, for us to take in. And so as God spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, now in these last days, he's going to break them down and explain them to us in this amazing book of Hebrews so that we can clearly, clearly walk away from this study, walk away from this book and know, you know what? Jesus Christ is superior. And so even today as we walk, And try to think, take our little shortcuts and go, you know what? Uh, I'm not used to kind of reading these books that are, you know, wow, this, this one's not like Paul's normal books. I mean, it's, you know, 13 chapters. You know, I like those little guys, you know, the four chapter ones I can read in 15 minutes. It's like, this is too much. And I'm just telling you that embedded in these little pages here in Hebrews is just this amazing, amazing depth um, of this plan of redemption that that God has laid out for us. It's it's a beautiful picture. Um, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Absolutely. And it is something to be thankful for because we don't have to wonder. You want to know how to live? You really want to know the secret to life? Why don't you... Be like the person who is better than anybody else who ever lived, who's superior to anything that's ever existed. Why don't we try to do that? Not live the way I live, not live the way you see any Christian hero you might have, but say, you know what, I know this this one Jesus who was better, who is superior. I may not only always trust and and understand this. I was talking with my son yesterday and we're talking about this, this whole concept of being sacrificial to somebody else. You know what? We don't like it. We don't like yielding to somebody else. We don't like saying, forgive me, I'm sorry, I sinned, I was wrong. It's so much easier to point fingers, blame shift, and argue. But the truth is, You know, we know on the back of our minds because when we date, we don't say these things, right? Because we're trying to win them over. We don't, you know, say, you know, think selfishly and self-centeredly and I'm first and you're last. And no, no, no. We make all these concessions, you know. I mean, guys will go anywhere, say anything, do anything, right? And then it's like, you know, then you get married. It's like, no, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to a quilting show. Well, what happened? What happened to the selflessness? What happened to loving your, your wife and loving their interests and the things they like? Well, that changes. That becomes a practical application. And all I have to say is the, the more I live, the more I realize I need to know even more about who Jesus was, how he lived, and, and I need to follow him, his ways better. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much again for revealing your truth to us For showing us that you are supreme. And Lord, we're so thankful that unlike the Old Testament saints, we have a relationship with our God. We don't have to rely on a sacrificial system. Lord, you died once for all. Because of that, Lord, our new covenant hope is in you. Our new covenant uh, spirit resides in us. And Lord, you are not far, but you are near And even though there will always be persecution, Lord, we know that we have your your promises. We know that that your promises will be fulfilled, that the messianic promises that have already been fulfilled are continuing to be fulfilled. And so, Lord, we know that we uh, can trust and rely on you. Father, thank you for the thread that uh, goes throughout the scriptures. It's not just found in Leviticus, Lord. We see it in Genesis, Exodus. We see it uh, in Kings. We see it in the the minor prophets and the major prophets. We see it in Daniel and Isaiah and Malachi. Lord, we see you everywhere throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And so the connection to the Old Testament law is connected to you. Help us to, to see that clearly. Help us to understand this especially as we study the book of Hebrews. I pray, Lord, for a blessing on this study. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we'll say in about, why don't we say 15 minutes, we'll come back. Um, So that I want, why don't you guys grab some food too. You guys can, uh, we can eat while while we chat, okay? All right. Oh, you know, a little this, a little that pulled pork pulled pork I put my best man on it See?